I'm San Francisco Chronicle columnist Heather Knight, and you're listening to Fifth and Mission. We're working on Monday's episode marking the one-year anniversary of the shelter-in-place order in the Bay Area. One of the voices you'll hear on that show belongs to Dr. Maya Kotis. She's a clinical instructor in pulmonary and critical care medicine at UCSF. And last April, she was one of a group of Bay Area doctors who volunteered to go to New York City. It was the epicenter of the coronavirus pandemic at the time, and they needed help. She talked to the Chronicle's Sarah Feldberg from New York for Fifth and Mission. With the anniversary coming up, Sarah talked to Dr. Kodas again about how the last year has been for her. We just needed one comment for Monday's show, but the interview is so good we thought we'd bring you the whole thing. We also have a lot more coverage marking the end of the first year of the pandemic at sfchronicle.com. Here's Sarah Feldberg talking to Dr. Maya Kodas of UCSF. Before the pandemic sort of like reached the U.S. or the Bay Area in a meaningful way last year, how did you expect that you would be spending the past year? Uh, well, <laughs> certainly not the way it played out. Um, I um, have a predominantly research-centered career, and in academic medicine, the currency of productivity in um, a research career is um, some combination of publications and grants. So my thought um, for and my roadmap for the year had been that I was going to be working intensively on getting publications out the door and working on um, grants to get a transition towards an independent research career. At what point did that plan sort of go out the window? Like when and how did you know like, oh, that's not going to be happening? I don't think I knew until maybe sometime when I was in New York um, and it really hit me that things weren't going to be going back to normal anytime soon. Um, you know, even when I first went to New York, there was this sort of sense that this was a short term like sprint um, that we were going to somehow like nip this thing in the bud. Um, there was going to be this like brief battle and then things would kind of subside and go back to normal. And it wasn't until, you know, maybe sometime during that trip, maybe sometime afterwards, where it started to hit us all that this was going to be going on like this for a long time. And it wouldn't be this brief hiccup in the year. It was going to be, you know, one to two years. We had no idea. Do you remember how you felt when you sort of had that realization that that this thing was not going to be over soon? I think just exhausted. Um, from what I've discussed with my, you know, colleagues who are also doing critical care medicine, some of whom are doing research too. Um, and I think from the general public too, initially there's this sort of energy and adrenaline rush of getting through this disaster together and kind of pulling together and thinking, you know, really stretching the limits of what we're each individually capable of, our own individual strength and and courage and what we're, you know, willing to do for one another. And then you get to a point where it's like you thought you were in a sprint, but it turns out you're in an ultra marathon and you went out like way, way, way too fast. And you're not only not sure that you can finish the race, but you think that it's possible you're going to like just like de get dehydrated and die out in the Badlands and nobody's ever going to find you like worse than not finishing the race. And so I think, you know, we all went through that lull. Um, 
where we all came to the realization like, oh, this isn't going to end. Like I've been running as fast as I can. I'm so exhausted. I haven't seen anybody for a long time. Like I'm just filled with grief, like filled and filled and filled with grief and haven't let it out. And it's not going anytime soon. And so just like utter exhaustion. Is there like a specific moment that you can remember where you just like hit that wall of, you know, this isn't going away and I need a break? Like what, how do you cope? When did you feel that feeling and how did you deal with it? Gosh, you know, I can't remember a specific instance. It's such like a amorphous feeling, right? It's not sudden. It's like creeping. It's, it's that same feeling of like, God, I just don't know if I can get out of bed. It's, it's a lazy, like tired, heavy feeling, not like an instantaneous revelation. And, um, and so I, I kind of remember like sitting in it for like a good week at least, um, just feeling kind of weighed down, um, rather than like a specific moment of realization. How do you cope with that? How do you deal with it when you know that it's not over and that there is all this time and work still to do? I'm not sure if I've really dealt with it. I'm not sure if I've really dealt with any of the stuff that's happened to us in the last year. Um, I've gotten through it. Um, and I don't really know if that's the same thing as dealing with it. Like I do have a lot of personal resilience, I guess, that I've dug for, but it's hard to know how okay you are, right? I'm okay enough to keep going. I'm okay enough to show up to work. I'm okay enough to be focused and diligent and to care for these patients in the best way I know how. But I do find that like, my fuse is short and that I'm like emotionally volatile. Like I can go from being totally fine to being in tears in without much notice. And that suggests to me that even though I, you know, found a way to get through that, to continue that I coped in some way that I may not have coped entirely. If you could go back to, you know, the beginning of this or before you went to New York, um, you know, about a year ago and sort of say something to yourself and, you know, give yourself some sort of warning of what was ahead or some advice or, or just anything like, what would you say to yourself a year ago about what was, what you were going to experience? That's a really tough question. I, I think in some ways that it was better that I had no idea because if I'd seen this road ahead, I probably would have just been like, I'm going to lie down right here and just give up. Um, and I think that that was true many times. Um, it was probably better not to know the entire course of things. Um, what I might have said at best would be, this is going to be one of the hardest periods of time in your life for so many reasons that you can't anticipate and it's going to feel over and over and over like you're not going to make it, but you are going to make it. You know, we talked, I think the last time we talked, you talked about sort of just how hard this illness was. I think you were just, we, you were just about to leave New York or had just gotten back from New York. Um, and it was still pretty early in our understanding of COVID. I think we've like learned a lot in the months since then. And you talked about, just being really touched and affected by the patients that you had been caring for, for like these long durations of illness. And I just was wondering sort of 
has that changed at all? Or like, how has, how has the way you interact with patients or their families, has that changed over the last, you know, since we last talked over, you know, almost a year, has it gotten easier? Is it still, is it still really hard? How, like, how is that going? Um, there are some aspects that are easier to be honest. Like, I mean, I don't have the same stretch of a month on the same service. It's just not the way we're organized. Like, you know, at, at, so I've been working both here at the Parnassus campus at UCSF, um, when we're typically on service for a week at a time. And then also at San Francisco general, where we kind of like, created a COVID service. So, you know, it was one, one or two shifts here and there, sometimes a four in a row, but never like more than a week at a time. So there's the benefit, maybe benefit of some emotional distance in that because you don't see the entire course of the disease. You see people at the beginning or you see people at the end, but maybe not the whole way through. And I don't know whether it's good or bad that there's some emotional distance in that. Um, nevertheless, like it has continued to be really, really, really heavy. Um, and sometimes in a totally different way because, you know, we don't have the full course and yet we still have the really heavy conversations with family members where, you know, we didn't know this patient for the last three weeks, but now we're in the fourth week telling them, like, I'm so sorry, but this isn't getting better. It's getting worse. And we don't have anything left to offer and we have to make him comfortable because that's the only thing I can offer. And to say that to somebody who you haven't been with through the entire course of their family's member's illness is a different kind of weight. Um, it's it's uh, maybe not so heavy in terms of the like ongoing, like long-term emotional trauma, but the intensity of that experience is pretty vast. And it also comes with a lot of, um, a lot of grief from the patient's families, right? Because they didn't like, who are you to tell them this? You haven't seen them. You didn't know them. Maybe, maybe it's just your opinion. Maybe the doctors who came before you in the preceding three weeks had a different opinion and, you know, they have, they manifest their grief in so many ways. Sometimes they yell at us and blame us. And sometimes they just cry. And sometimes they, you know, write angry letters to the administration. And, you know, there's so many different ways that people's grief has come out. And so I'd say like, it's some combination of easier without such prolonged periods of time and much worse. We'll be right back after a short break. You can support Fifth in Mission and the newsroom that creates it by signing up for unlimited Chronicle access at sfchronicle.com slash pod. Has the fact that patients' family members can't be there with you and can't be visiting and can't like be bedside, has, has that made this whole time just so much more difficult than, you know, like obviously you're in the ICU on a regular basis treating people in critical condition, but this is like, that's a really different aspect of this disease than before COVID. How has that made this experience different? It's just truly horrible because the levels of like grief and guilt that family members are experiencing are just so profound. Like the number of cases that we've had where, you know, a, a adult child was the only person seeing their parent and they were just trying to bring them food and they were not coming in the house 
and they were trying their best to distance from them and they know that they were the source of infection and then they're not with them day after day after day after day after day until we finally tell them they're dying and that they can come for their one hour window during which they stand outside of the room and say goodbye to them. And like the thought that like, you know, you were the one who brought it to them. You killed your parent and you never get to say goodbye again. You never get to hold their hand. You don't watch them through the entirety of it. You don't really know. You just have to blindly have faith that like somebody like me is there telling you the truth about whether or not they're really getting better. They're really getting worse. And then you just have to let them go. And maybe you never saw them again. You never hold them again. Like that is the most horrible thing. Do you feel like as a, as a provider, have you, um, it's so heartbreaking. It, like I actually saw, I think you tweeted a couple of weeks ago, something about like a FaceTime with all these faces saying goodbye to someone. And it made me cry <laughs> and my, like just at home in my house, not, not even dealing with it. Um, do you think as a provider, you're taking things away from this experience that are going to change the way you give care or change the way you think about your work? Like, is this, what do you, what do you think you're going to take away from this year? I guess I have, you know, even more respect for the amount of like trust and uh, the intimacy of the doctor patient experience and the doctor family experience to have been able to play a role in these people's lives, even if it wasn't the role of saving them. Um, and like at those moments that are going to be so horrible, like if I can make a difference in making them feel like somebody is actually there and somebody is actually caring, it matters more than it ever mattered before. And I um, have understood for a long time that our power in critical care medicine is like really, really limited, that, that there's just so much about science and about medicine that we, you know, like feeble little human beings don't understand yet. And we have so much to learn before we can actually cure or treat most ailments. And some will never be treated, right? It's just part of life that we're all mortal and that at some point we're all going to die of something. And and there's only, you know, understanding those limitations. The one thing that we really, really can always, always offer is being a human being. Um, and it's never mattered more to be the human being who like really cares about that person and really feels their sadness and wants to hold their hand. Um, are there cases that have gone well that you're like that you hold on to or people who you've gotten have you gotten to see people walk out the door you know like does and does that help um yes it absolutely helps um it hurts too in a weird way uh there was a wonderful wonderful um session that one of our colleagues a couple of our colleagues organized from a survivor from one of our ICUs and you know, this is a patient who had been critically ill for such a long time that many, many of us took care of him because he was in the ICU so profoundly ill for so long that, you know, we were rotating on a weekly basis. And then, you know, 
Um, and he was talking to us from his own home, like a normal person, like a person who I couldn't even really recognize because he had like, you know, like filled out his face again and he had like a rosy complexion and you could see the color of his eyes and you could see the movements of his mouth and like the way, you know, different facial muscles like moved. And that was something that I'd never experienced because when I took care of him, he was on a ventilator and it was so incredible to actually see somebody better because I've never gotten to see that before this patient, because at the very best, I see somebody come off the ventilator and go to a wards floor. Right. And then I don't see what happens after that. I've never, ever, ever been able to see somebody who I took care of who got well and went home, especially somebody that we thought like could easily die. That's amazing. Is there something like, I guess, how are you feeling right? Like right now with sort of, I know, infections are like dropping a little bit in the Bay Area and vaccine rollout is going up every day. Like after seeing so many up and downs over the course of the last year, like how do you feel when you start like right now about what's what might be coming? I guess the sort of array of emotions I'm having are so like so vast and so conflicting with each other that it's really hard to like even access all of them. It's like this weird mosaic of things that don't seem to go together. Like I I obviously have the same excitement that I think most of us have of like, Oh my God, I'm actually going to get to see people again. Like I'm actually going to get to go out to restaurants again. Like I'm going to sit inside somewhere soon. Um, And, uh, and like just the incredible relief that maybe we're actually going to go back to something that feels normal and the relief that it's not going to be so many extra shifts and that we won't be seeing all of this death forever and ever. Um, but also, um, I am really sad still, like really, really sad. And um, I mean, as you can see from the way I'm reacting, like none of these experiences are gone for me. They haven't faded. And I think really intensely about some of the ones I told you about when I was in New York. They're still really with me. They weigh on me and they're so heavy and like the weight hasn't gone away. So I also feel like incredibly sad and incredibly weighed down. And, um, and I feel really disappointed um, in how people have been. I feel even, you know, on a personal level, like disappointed in, um, in the level of support I was able to get because nobody really understands who's not doing it. Right. They have, everybody's got their own level of struggles and grief. And some people's struggles are about their kids not being in school or about their own sense of isolation. And sometimes like, I'm just mad. I want to scream about that. Cause I'm like, don't you see what I'm doing? Um, and, um, and it's just like, so, it's so complex. So like some wonderful, like really bright, really hopeful um, feelings and also some like really dark, like sadness and anger. Yeah. Yeah, of course. I, I can't imagine how it could be any other way. <laughs> Is there anything else that we haven't talked about that you like that you want people to know or that I haven't asked you about that you wish I had? Um, no, I don't. I don't think so. I guess the one thought that I have to add is that like, I don't think any of us are going to be 
okay, it truly okay for a really long time. Um, maybe we won't ever be, right? This was like a, a war of sorts and it's going to be with us um, for years and years. Um, and certainly I'm realizing right now that I'm not going to just snap back. I mean, I think people are saying like, oh, you must are you feeling like pretty good now that everything's like on away and it hasn't gone away. Right. I'm carrying all of those memories with me and I'm not going to be over it for a really long time. And I think everybody, all of us who have experienced COVID in all of our individual ways are not going to be fully okay for a really long time. And I am just trying to, forgive myself in advance for that. And I hope that we all can, because I don't think anybody's going to be like totally okay for a long time. And that's just part of the experience of being human and having feelings. Yeah, that's a really beautiful point. Thank you. Thank you for adding that. That was Dr. Maya Kodis, a clinical instructor in pulmonary and critical care medicine at UCSF, talking to the Chronicle's Sarah Feldberg. We'll have our episode marking one year of Shelter in Place on Monday, and there's more coverage of the anniversary at sfchronicle.com. Thanks to King Kaufman for producing this episode, and thank you for listening.